0: Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. Our essay this week is called, Lord, Teach Us to Pray, Our Kids in God's Kingdom. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, July the 28th, 2013, and it's a guest essay by Joan Bigwood, author. Playwright and inspirational speaker Joan Bigwood is a descendant of too many Episcopal clerics to count, including her grandmother, Jane Cleveland Bloodgood, who was one of the first women to be ordained in the Episcopal Church. This spiritual legacy informs Joan's creative work, which she believes introduces Christ into the human story in many guises. Lord, teach us to pray. A guest essay by Joan Bigwood. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? What if your child asks to be heard? Do you listen, or do you just nod? What if they ask for the truth? Can you bear to tell it? Perhaps because I see the world through the lens of a parent, the readings this week from both Genesis and Luke distill for me the nature of a moral education, one that extends from the very first parental correction, through the intimate conversations of long car rides and late campfires, well into the teenage years of increasingly sophisticated debate, where what is right versus what is convenient becomes the light motif of our discussions. I think the majority of parents would agree that it's much easier to teach our own children how to ride a bike, how to set the table, how to cook or do the laundry, than it is to teach them how to live. And so, Lord, teach us to pray. Part of us believes that through prayer, God will grant us wishes if we ask fervently enough. But that's venturing into Santa Claus territory, isn't it? Jesus instructs his disciples by keeping it very simple. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. This distilled version of the Lord's Prayer covers the basics. A daily dose of grace, forgiveness, and support in the face of temptation. It's balanced, even-handed, not too greedy. And best of all, because it takes its cue from God's will for us, it has the messianic stamp of approval. It's also the first prayer most children learn. Ever since my kids were old enough to talk, I'd insist on their participating in the part of the service where we said the Lord's Prayer together. Their dad has prayed it with them every night at bedtime. It's tried and true. But it's only the beginning. Prayer in all its many forms and contexts is as individual as it is powerful. And it's our job to help our children find their own prayerfulness and to use prayer as a means of making a spiritual connection with their Creator, Sanctifier, and Redeemer. Our job as parents would be a lot easier if God were more like Santa Claus, who knows when you're bad and good, and brings wonderful gifts to all the little boys and girls. Well, there's good news. God might not have a mailing address or a supersonic sleigh, But the Holy Spirit knows where the gifts are kept. I went through an artistic phase in high school. This is remarkable because I had never considered myself any kind of visual artist. My sister was the gifted artist in the family. Hand-eye coordination was my forte. In fact, my mother used to say to me, as my sister turned out another snazzy outfit on her sewing machine, or a set of pen and ink note cards, Kate is a maker. You are a doer. That was not entirely true. Kate sold her note cards for charitable purposes, for starters, but it was neat packaging and my mother was a very busy woman. So pithiness often trumped accuracy. But then in high school I suddenly found myself creating my own pen and ink drawings very different from Kate's meticulous wildlife renderings. Mine were more cartoony, but recognizable, whimsical, and best of all, all mine. I started to dabble in different medium, one day seizing upon an image that I wanted to create out of cut paper. A starry night sky with a gigantic zipper unzipping to reveal a rainbow, and I wrote at the bottom of the page, Seek, and ye shall find. I framed it and gave it to my mother, who displayed it in her office at the Yale Divinity School for the next ten or more years. So it turned out I was an artist after all. This unzipped rainbow was an early attempt to express a still unformed belief, and even if crudely rendered, the message was an important one. If you look hard enough, my piece of art said, and I wanted so badly to believe that if you really go beyond what's before you, you will find what you're looking for. In this case, a rainbow. These were the 1970s, after all. But how strongly I wanted to believe at that burgeoning time in my life that there was a giant cosmic zipper one could simply pull, behind which lay one's every dazzling dream. Seek! and each you'll find. Since then, I've adjusted my thinking. I've refined my beliefs on the topic of seeking, perhaps because I spent the past 30 years since my rainbow seeking things I could not actually find, no matter how hard I sought. Critical success in my dream career, a long and happy marriage, a firstborn who survives infancy, we are not prepared for the setbacks that await us, especially those of us who believe that if we ask, it will be granted to us. And so Luke writes Ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be open. But look carefully at how this is worded. Everyone who asks, receives. It doesn't say everyone who asks, receives it. In fact, it's very likely that the opposite is true. What I ask for as a limited mortal with so many unchecked impulses and earthbound longings is probably not what I will receive. Because what what I want is rarely what I ought to have. I'm of the tribe that believes that if I have fame and fortune, for example, I have success. That just because I saw stars when I met my husband-to-be we would live compatibly until death us did part. That I would not be able to survive the death of a child. So please, Lord, don't let anything happen to her." As a Sunday school teacher, I've had the pleasure at Pentecost of helping children learn about the gifts of the Spirit and to wonder at their own individual gifts that make them unique. We read aloud examples of different kinds of gifts of the Spirit and how they might apply to real-life situations. The idea is for the children to recognize themselves in the various scenarios and then to express artistically what their own gift might be by the end of our time together we've identified everything from helpers to players. It's a revelatory exercise and an affirming one. Yet this early discernment process is only the beginning. More gifts will come to light, new gifts, special gifts. I've discovered my gift for teaching, for directing, for singing karaoke. And the best gifts of all may come in the face of terrible setbacks. I've often wondered if, in giving up one of my own children, having to say goodbye to someone loved so completely, I would be able to let go of things I love with more equanimity. That would certainly be a great gift, because life is riddled with goodbyes. But what about this promise of the Holy Spirit to those who ask? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's not get too hung up on the use of the term evil here. I believe it's used merely to distinguish between sinners and saviors, between the human and the divine. And from Genesis this week, we've seen in Abraham's obsequious cross examination that God is willing to bargain when it comes to salvation. The key is not so much to ask for the gift as it is to trust in divine grace. The key is to seek, knowing not at all what we might find. It is to have faith that we will find something, most likely something surprising, and that it will also be good. Lord, Teach Us to Pray, a guest essay by Joan Bigwood. For books this week, I review Christian Wyman, the title, My Bright Abyss, Meditation of a Modern Believer, New York, Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux, 2013, 182 pages. Christian Wyman, born in 1966, is an American poet, the author of a half dozen books, and the editor of the journal Poetry, the oldest poetry magazine in the United States. On his 39th birthday, he was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. His many different treatments included a bone marrow transplant. At about the same time, Wyman fell madly in love and married his wife, Danielle. Today they have two children. Percolating underneath all of this was a long, latent faith from his childhood days in West Texas. This current volume, My Bright Abyss, is hard to categorize. It's part confession, part memoir, part philosophical and theological investigation. Rather than a continuous line of argument, his book is a mosaic of prose fragments that he admits has an episodic quality. Almost all of the entries are less than one page. They try to unpack his personal experience of falling in love in the shadow of death while trying to discover what assenting to his long-latent Christian faith might mean. He writes, What I crave now is some speech that is true to the transcendent nature of grace, yet equal to the hard reality in which daily faith operates. Elsewhere, he describes this as finding that elusive balance between active devotion and honest modern consciousness. Life in our modern world, he says, with all its anxieties, ambitions, and distractions, is like collective ADHD. And so he keeps asking, seeking, and knocking, to see the sanity and vitality of this strange ancient thing called Christian faith. Wyman's book is not a casual read. It's a rich brew of personal experience, reflections on his favorite authors like George Herbert, Cormac McCarthy, Fanny Howe, and Marilyn Robinson, and intellectual inquiry that draws comparisons with Pascal's Pensées. Now seven years beyond the thrill of love and the specter of death, Wyman offers these little fragments here and there, finding God here and there among the ongoing delights and demolitions of daily life. My Bright Abyss has received uniformly positive reviews by the New York Times, the New Yorker, the Chronicle of Higher Education, NPR, and other mainstream media. The author, Christian Wyman, the title, My Bright Abyss, Meditation of a Modern Believer. For Movies This Week, I review Kon Tiki from 2013. This dramatization of a true story isn't great cinema, but it is great history. Back in 1947, the Norwegian explorer Thor Heyerdahl and five crew members drifted over 4,000 miles from Peru to Polynesia on a balsa wood raft that was built from the materials and methods of 1,500 years ago, and that provided virtually no steerage or sails. The voyage took 101 days, and all six crew members arrived safely. Heyerdahl wanted to prove that the Pacific Islands had been settled by South Americans to the east and not by Asians from the West. Yes, there are sharks, storms, boredom, swaying women in grass skirts, and melodramatic music. The real history is told in Heyerdahl's book from 1948 that's been translated into 70 languages, sold 50 million copies, and made into a previous movie in 1951 that won the Academy Award. And just for the record, several explorers repeated Heyerdahl's feat in the following decades, with the longest known raft voyage drifting 9,000 miles in 179 days. Kon 2013. <clears throat> and this summer we continue our selections of Celtic poems and prayers. This one is called God's Aid. God to enfold me, God to surround me, God in my speaking, God in my thinking, God in my sleeping, God in my waking, God in my watching, God in my hoping, God in my life, God in my lips, God in my soul, God in my heart, God in my sufficing, God in my slumber, God in my ever-living soul, God in mine eternity. Celtic Poems and Prayers, God's Aid. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, July the 28th, 2013. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.